It's February 25th, 2022. And today I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by a longtime friend of mine, Emily Jones. Now I've known Emily for years and it has been so very awesome to see her take on such an important role for her career and in her community as a children's librarian. So the topic of kids and reading is something that gets talked about a lot in our community. And I know you all are absolutely going to want to hear what Emily has to say about literacy and kids, how we can support reluctant readers in our life. And she even brought some fantastic book recommendations to share with you guys too. I know you do not want to miss this conversation all about kids and reading and all of the awesome that there is to discover in that. I'm Meg Teets and this is Sort of Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes, to the show that loves to support you in becoming smart, strong, and social. If you've been looking for amazing women to connect with and a community that will support you no matter what your age and stage of life that you're in, I'm so thrilled to tell you, you've come to the right place. And if you are enjoying Sorta Awesome, please make sure you have subscribed so you never miss a new episode from us. Also, if you love what we are doing here on the show, pop on over to Apple Podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and review. We get new members in our community all the time who tell us that they found us on Apple Podcasts. So believe it or not, you guys, those reviews and ratings really do help other people to find the show. So Emily Jones, hello and welcome to Sorta Awesome, my friend. Hello, Meg. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so thrilled that you said yes to my invitation to come and talk about something that I know that both of us are passionate about. Just to give you guys a little context for my friendship with Emily, we met at a blogging event 12 or 13 years ago. Is that right? I think my son was a, a few a baby, months old. Right? So it would have been 2009 in Tulsa. Yes, in Tulsa. We met at a blogging event. We connected there. We've stayed in touch through the years. We have a wonderful group of friends. We were all mommy bloggers around the same time doing that. And so Emily and I have just been able to grow in that friendship through the years, watch our families grow and all kinds of changes. One of the biggest changes, Emily, for you, you've gone from being a classroom teacher. In what grade did you teach third grade when you were teaching? I feel like it was like mid-elementary years. I taught a little bit of everything, honestly. Oh, okay. Over the 10 to 12 years I was a teacher, I taught pre-K through fifth grade. Okay, I wow. I think that fourth grade might have been the only grade I didn't actually teach a full year of. <laughs> okay, all right. But you are not in the classroom anymore. Now you're in a no. different part of the learning community in a public library in Fayetteville, right? Right, here in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, yes. And your official role is children's librarian, is that correct? That's correct. Sometimes it's called youth services librarian, but okay. both titles work. Love that. And so tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day -day job is like. I mean, to me, children's librarian is like, wow, dream come true to be surrounded by kids and books. Do you guys do like story time? Are you planning programming for kids in your community? Tell us just like a little snapshot of what life is like as a children's librarian right now. It really is the best. Of course, COVID has changed a few things in the public library sphere, sure. just like it has everywhere. But a typical week in the children's library 
includes story times. I personally am responsible for the baby bookworms uh, <gasps> version of story time. Oh my gosh. And it is when we're in person, it is absolutely the highlight of my week. I can imagine. In the past, we've had groups of close to a hundred <gasps> parents with their babies oh. and they sing along and we get out the bubble machines and it really is just the cutest hour of my week. I can just imagine. Oh, it's so precious. But we have story times for other age groups as well. And then I'm also responsible for after school workshops. Oh, cool. And that's more for grade school age children. And we do a whole host of things, arts and crafts, decorating cupcakes. Last night, I ran one in our new kitchen space in our library and we made dog treats. Oh, fun. It was really cute. I got to hear all about all the kids' dogs and <laughs> they made treats for their dogs. And I came home with treats for my spoiled dogs. It was very fun. And our chef got to lead them through that. And I think we wore him out and he yes. also had a great time. Yes. I, I think they were second through fourth graders last night. Oh, so sweet. We run a extensive summer reading program. So we're gearing up for our busy time of year, which is really opposite for me. Yeah. When I was teaching in a traditional school, my busy season is just about to get started instead of winding down. I bet. I bet. I hadn't even thought about that. But yes, summer reading program is a huge part of programming at libraries, public libraries, I'm sure. And I loved hearing you talk about the baby bookworms. When my kids were little, especially when the girls were little, connecting with other parents at Library Storytime was a lifeline for me. So I love to hear that you guys have a similar program going on. So great. Well, I've asked Emily to come and talk about kids and reading and literacy and give us some recommendations on all kinds of things. And we are going to get to all of that in just a few minutes. I know you guys are going to want to hear what Emily has to say. She has so much wisdom to share with us. But first, before we do that, let's start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. This is that moment in the show where we stop and talk about the books and TV shows, the movies, the podcasts, the products, whatever's making life a little bit more awesome right now. So Emily, I'm so excited to hear what you picked for Awesome of the Week for us this week. I'm telling you, choosing an Awesome of the Week was really difficult because I've listened <laughs> to your show since it started. And of course, every week, I mentally have an awesome of the week. Sure. So I have years of backlog of things I've wanted to share. The, the thing I brought today is a pair of shoes Ooh. from Madewell. Okay. Tell me everything. They are the kickoff trainer sneaker from Madewell. It's Madewell brand. And gosh, they have probably seven or eight different designs of this same shoe. And they happen to be on sale this week. So run nice. over to find them. Yeah. Lots of colors. They are so comfortable, but they look really cute. I wear them to work all the time. And they are what I chose because I get asked about them on a pretty regular basis. And they go with everything. I got the neutral color block, but they have animal prints and bright colors. And I think even a solid white I saw last summer. So yeah. I'm in the market to add a few more of these because I feel like they go with everything and they're just the perfect mom shoe, honestly. <laughs> they look kind of cute, but now that I'm approaching 40, my shoes need to also be very comfortable. <laughs> yes, so that's where I live. 
I'm like, oh, those are cute, but are they comfortable? That's the ultimate question. I see people share cheap shoes still, you know, cute Target shoes. And well, I want to jump on that bandwagon. I know that my feet are not going to support that decision. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love a white sneaker. I wear them almost every day, but I had not looked into the Madewell ones. So I am absolutely going to have to check those out. So fun. So fun. Anything else awesome in your life right now? I had one. You gave me permission to share one more tiny one. A little bonus. And after this season of candy that we have just walked through with Valentine's Day, Mm -hmm. and then again, Easter coming up, maybe you're looking for something sweet that's not quite so bad for you (laughs) as all of the candy I've been stealing out of my son's Valentine's (laughs) haul. And this was probably an Instagram recommendation from someone, but they are called the Hue Kitchen brand chocolate bars. Okay. And they are vegan paleo no refined sugar no sugar alcohols no dairy no soy no palm oil all of those really wonderful ingredients organic but they actually taste really good okay my favorite is the cashew butter and vanilla bean okay that sounds amazing it is so good but they're dark chocolate so they're very rich so you know you could break off just a square or two I keep mine in my desk drawer at work and it helps me avoid the giant candy jar that we have going. Yes. And they are really delicious, but you could also tell your family that they're healthy. So maybe they would stay away. (laughs) This is mama's health food. So you don't want to eat this. This is basically a protein bar. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. If I told my kids they are protein bars, they'd be like, no thanks. Or like with Nico, if I tell him anything spicy, then he doesn't want it. (laughs) This is pretty spicy, honey. You can order these online, but I have also found them at Walmart. That's probably the cheapest place I've found them. They're around $4 a bar, which is a little, it's a nice treat for mom. But if you're only breaking off a square or two, they last a while. So good. And what was the brand name again? Q Kitchens, H-U. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, we will put links in the show notes for Emily's Awesomes of the Week. If you guys want to go and check those out, I love that you brought a little bonus. It never hurts to have some extra, extra awesome in our lives for sure. My Awesome of the Week this week is a podcast. I thought and thought about what to go with this week. I had a couple of different options, but truly this podcast, listening to it has been an awesome experience for me this week. And it's called The Trojan Horse Affair. Have you heard of this one, Emily? I have not. I'm so intrigued. Okay. Well, it's from Serial Productions. So as you all may know, of course, Serial Season 1 really launched like the renaissance or the new beginning of the podcast age. And they've continued to make more seasons of Serial and they've continued to expand the programming that they are creating. And this is their newest limited series podcast. So it follows the story. I had not heard of this. It takes place in England, and back in 2014, a strange letter, an unsigned, anonymously written letter, landed in the city council in Birmingham, England, that basically outlined the idea that there was this elaborate plot to infiltrate schools in Birmingham, England, with this pro-Islamic agenda, and it was like extremist Islam. Well... There was a lot of controversy around it, as you can imagine. 
And the authorship of the letter was never established. And so the Trojan horse, and in fact, it references and kind of alludes to the Trojan horse idea in the letter that they were going to try to, in a Trojan horse kind of way, infiltrate the public schools in Birmingham. And so Hamza Syed, who was a doctor, but he decided to leave the medical field and become a journalist. And this case kind of investigating what happened was like his sort of like senior thesis project, I guess, for journalism Mm. school. So he was very, very invested in finding out what was the story behind this letter. So he partners with Brian Reed, who, I don't know, did you listen to S-Town, the podcast series when it came out a couple of years ago? Okay, that was another serial production hosted by Brian Reed. And so Brian Reed is, again, part of serial productions. He co-hosts this with Hamza Syed. And Emily, it is so fascinating. There's a couple of different storylines going on. There's the main thing, like the main investigation into what was the story behind this letter? What were the circumstances around it? Ultimately, who wrote this letter? But then also there's this interesting personal dynamic between Brian and Hamza, with Brian being like this, the American. So he's definitely like the foreigner in this situation. He's the veteran journalist. He has his idea of how to go about investigating a story like this. And then you have Hamza, who is, you know, this was in his community. So he's like really invested in it, but he's a brand new journalist. And so there's like this interesting personal dynamic as they get to know each other and they record everything. So you get a lot of off conversation, like not off microphone, obviously they were recording it, but like side conversation Okay, between the two of them. So anyway, it's an eight episode limited podcast series. The main story is very compelling and very interesting, but I'm going to go ahead and call it awesome of the week because I found the personal side of the story and the different people who are involved in this story to be just as compelling as like the kind of big mystery of the story. So, so good. Yeah, it really is. It's again, it's eight episodes. It dropped at the beginning of February. The production quality is incredible, as you would expect with a serial production. How long is each episode? They're about an hour long, like under an hour, 45 minutes to an hour per episode. So yeah, it's, it's a nice, easy binge during the week if you're looking for something to listen to and to kind of make you think about a lot of issues. And again, it's called The Trojan Horse Affair. And you can find it wherever you listen to the podcasts. Nice. So, yeah. Okay, so those are Awesomes of the Week for Emily and I this week. Like I said, you can find links in the show notes. We have so much to talk about when it comes to kids and literacy and reading. And I am so excited to hear what you have to say, Emily. So we're going to get to all of that when we come right back. Okay, we are back. And again, today I'm joined by my dear friend, Emily Jones, who is a children's librarian and someone who I trust to have great opinions and insights into what's going on with kids and reading. In fact, Emily, let's just kind of start right there. And this is really interesting to me because obviously with having five kids, I have a variety of readers in this house. I'm sure. (laughs) My older girls, you know, they were really, especially in elementary school, were avid readers. My second daughter, AJ, especially always had a book. Now that they're teenagers and they have their phones, sadly, Mm -hmm. like their parents don't do as much reading as they once did because of the distraction of phones. And then my twins who are nine and in third grade are late to reading and are kind of reluctant readers. They just, 
trying to catch up on an academic level, but also they just kind of haven't been bitten by that reading bug yet. By the bug, yeah. Yes. And so I'm super interested to hear what you have to say, but let's kind of start with the research. What do we know about kids and literacy and what literacy can kind of predict for us in terms of, well, like I was saying with my twins, like academics and how kids do with learning in general? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm probably preaching to the choir here, (laughs) but we know that reading does so much to kids developing brains and to adults throughout your life. Yeah. So of course, reading improves your vocabulary, your memory skills, your critical thinking. It's going to improve their skills in all subject areas, math and science included. Being a fluent reader increases your chances of success in high school and beyond. We know this. It points to uh, acceptance into college if we are fluent readers, but it also provides and helps stir up empathy in children. Oh, yes. For others from other backgrounds and other parts of the world, it can decrease stress and help manage depression for Mm. fluent readers. Wow. Of course, when we're in the stage where we're learning to read, the stress increases some. Sure. But when we're fluent readers, it can be a source of stress relief. I mean, I think you and I both would agree with that tremendously. Yes, absolutely. Having, you know, just the sort of the normal stresses of childhood. I can remember as a kid being so happy to get to escape into a book First of all, for the chance to kind of escape the stress of life, but also like you were saying with building empathy to understand like having difficulties and facing challenges and overcoming challenges is part of the human experience. It's not something kids are such concrete learners, Mm -hmm. you know, as adults, we can kind of talk about and understand, okay, we're going to go through hard times. That's just part of being a human But for a kid to be able to identify with either a character in a fiction book or to read the real life story of of other people in nonfiction, it gives them that concrete thing that expands their world to be like, I'm not alone in, you know, fill in the blank thing that I'm going through. Yes, I am currently in online grad school for library services. And the class I'm taking this semester is called Diverse Resources for Children and Young Mm -hmm. Adults. And one of the articles we read recently was about how much children need books that are both mirrors of their own circumstances and windows into other people. So we need windows and mirrors when in our reading. And I just felt like that was a really powerful statement because it's true. They need to see themselves and they need to see others to give them their place in the world. It's just so powerful. It also can slow down memory loss in older adults if you continue to be a reader throughout your life, which is exciting news for readers, right? I don't know. I feel like I struggle with this more and more every year, but surely the reading is helping. It really is a skill and a practice that's going to improve your life, your entire life. So of course, as a parent, we want our kids to be enthusiastic readers. There's no doubt about that. Yes. And I remember from way, way back many years ago when I was a classroom teacher teaching on the other end of the spectrum from learning readers, from emerging readers, to having juniors and seniors in high school who were writing a lot in Texas, where I taught at the time, they had to pass a writing test as part of standardized testing. And certainly seniors are writing if they're going to college, they're writing college entrance essays. And I remember as part of my learning to become an English teacher, how often it was emphasized that good readers make good writers. And 
I've seen that in my older two children in the sense that writing seems to come a little bit more easily for them just because of so much time spent reading. It's like it builds a muscle memory of sorts in your brain in terms of like how sentence structure works. That's exactly what I was going to say. Sentence structure. You've been exposed to it so often. Exactly. I will read some of Daisy's essays for her various classes and I'll be like, you wrote this? This is like really good. (laughs) This is really good. And obviously, as a former English teacher, I'm noticing things like her sentence structure and her vocabulary choices and those Mm -hmm. types of things. And it's not as if she's ever had a formal writing course. These are just things that were kind of ingrained in her as she spent a lot of time reading as a younger kid. And so definitely, I think when it comes to just communication in general, people who are good readers kind of innately have a grasp on communication. Yes. That your brain just, you know, working with all the different kinds of writing that there is as you're reading it, your brain kind of picks it up and mirrors it back. You train your brain when you read any nonfiction or fiction, you train your brain to find context clues when you come across something Mm -hmm. you don't know, maybe a word you don't know, or an idea you're not familiar with. You're used to finding that answer in the surrounding material. And it's just a great skill that can be translated into a lot of things. Yes, absolutely. Well, you made a great point for those of us who are ourselves enthusiastic readers, or maybe we're just familiar with what the research says about kids and reading, and we know how important literacy is. If we do have kids in our life, either our own children or, you know, just children that are part of our community circles who are reluctant about reading, it can be a little bit discouraging. For me, I even feel a little bit out of my depth on it because as an enthusiastic reader myself, I don't even know where to start with encouraging my kids who are not so excited about reading. So I would love, love, love to hear your perspective. And I know so many awesomes, this topic comes up so often in our community. So many of our awesomes would also, I think, like to hear what are some reasons, first of all, that kids might be unenthusiastic about reading that, you know, either for schoolwork or even just for fun. Well, I'm really excited to answer this question now that I am not employed by a school. (laughs) Because I think there is an element of having to toe the party line when you work for a school district. And this is not to throw any school or teacher under the bus. It is a very difficult job. Mm -hmm. But having my own child working now in a public library sphere, I'm seeing maybe a fuller picture of what it looks like for a child to learn how to read outside of just reading instruction. Yeah. And while I think there is a time and a place, that being with your educator Mm -hmm. at school for some of these programs to exist, I think that sometimes they cause a lot of stress for children Mm. outside of school, especially. And what I mean by that is, I think some kids are reluctant to read because it's hard. It's not a thing that we are just automatically good at. Yeah. And so when they hit a wall, some kids, you know, it's just more difficult than others. And I'd like to maybe have a caveat here. If we're talking about something a little more severe, like a learning disability or something you suspect like that, talking to your teacher about having your child screened and maybe starting therapies for Mm -hmm. vision or auditory processing, ADHD, dyslexia, 
all of that is a very real thing. And you should definitely pursue professional help for that if you suspect something like that might be happening. Yes. But when we're talking about just reluctant to read, maybe Mm -hmm. we're learning to read, we can do it, but we're not excited about it. That's really what I'm talking about here. Right. Children also have, in most cases, very little choice in their day-to-day life, mm-hmm. right? Yes. You know, they often don't choose their clothing or what they eat or where they go to school or the types of things that they're learning in their classroom. And for type nine compliant type people, this is not such a big problem. But right. for some of our kiddos, they just really don't have a lot of choice and that is a difficult thing for them. And where they can push back, they will. And it's, you know, they're looking for a place to have a choice. And it's my belief that reading can be the perfect place for that. So my first thing for reluctant readers is please leave any sort of label or color or number that they have been assigned for some sort of program at school. Do your best to leave that at school. Okay. I believe that children should have access to free choice reading. Mm -hmm. If all of their reading is between a 2.8 and a 3.5 on the accelerated reader program, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of programs. That's just the one I'm familiar with. For sure. Yeah. That can be really disheartening for a child. Yeah. Yeah. It can be really embarrassing for a child Mm -hmm. if they feel like it's not up to their their peers. Yeah. I was going to say what their peers are reading and checking out and reading in class. Yeah. I really wish if I was still in the classroom that some of those tools could be used without letting the child know where they fall on that scale. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like the growth chart. Yes. It's a piece of information that can be useful, but it should not then become their identity. Mm. I'm not a good reader because I only read on a second grade level, but I'm in third grade. And that's really embarrassing to me. Yeah. And then that that becomes, I think, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I was going to say, I think that that then becomes part of the story they tell about themselves. And that can last for years. One of my kids early in early, early, like first grade, for various reasons, made a bad grade on her report card in math. And first grade, I'm talking about. And then for years, the story she told herself is, I'm not good at math. Math is hard for me. I don't Mm -hmm. score well in math. I don't do well in math. From one grade on one report card when she was in the first grade. And so I think it is so valuable to think about how much information are we giving kids about where they fall Kids can't understand, like going back to this concrete versus abstract thinking thing, kids don't really understand the idea that there's a spectrum, right? That we are all, all over the spectrum in various things. For them, it's very black and white. And if they do perceive or if they're outright told, oh, I'm in the low readers group, Mm -hmm. then that begins to inform their further experiences with reading. And it becomes part of the story they tell about themselves with reading. And it's so hard to break out of that. Once you decide you're bad at something, yeah, you limit yourself from making strides in that area. I've seen it many times in a classroom. Mm-hmm. So my advice would be, you can't always control sure. what happens at school, mm-hmm. unless you're choosing to homeschool. Mm-hmm. The emphasis they put on those kinds of reading programs or reading groups, that is a bit out of our control as parents. Mm-hmm. But the relationship they have with books and reading at home could be a very different story. Yeah. 
And so I always want to encourage parents when I see them at the library to please let them have free choice here. Please let them have free choice here because they don't always get that in other places. Right. And if we want reading to be as amazing as all those reasons that we listed before. Yes. They need to see that reading can feel amazing too. Mm. And if all they're being exposed to are like level green readers about the American Revolution, <laughs> they may they may start to get the idea that reading is not as amazing as you people are telling you that it is. It is hard and it is boring when I never get to choose what I want to read. Right. Another issue that I overhear a lot in the library, parents will come around the corner and I can hear them coaching their children as they're going to pick out books. You can have one graphic novel, mm. but everything else needs oh, to be yes. fill in the blank. Yep. Or, I was going to ask you about graphic novels specifically, but yes, please go ahead. And I just sit at the desk and I try so hard not to intervene because it's a public library and <laughs> that's not really my job. But I want to tell them like, graphic novels are good too. <laughs> yes. And if your second grade boy loves dog man and mm. you think it is so dumb, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> yep. Or fly guy. The book Fly that, guy. You know, I can't even Captain remember. Captain Underpants. Yeah, Captain Underpants. I remember my girls both independent of each other went through like a Junie B. Jones stage. And I just thought, oh my God, these books are cool. But they loved them. Love them. Yes. And so I know graphic novels comes up a lot because again, if you're a more conventional reader, then you may look at the pages and it looks like a comic book, right? Mm -hmm. And you may look at it and think like, this isn't quote unquote, good reading. This is not the kind of reading that's going to further them as readers. That's going to, you know, challenge them as readers. This is either too easy Or, you know, we might bring our various biases and preconceived ideas to these texts. And from my perspective, again, as a former English teacher and just a reading enthusiast, I think any reading is great reading. Any reading is good reading, but also if it can bring some comfort to those out there who are still a little like, well, yeah, but there are levels of good reading and graphic novels are at the bottom. I just want to encourage you that, especially for learning readers, That isn't true at all. There have been studies that examine the brain while people are reading graphic novels. And the order in which you have to read and pair the text and the pictures does something different to your brain than just traditional text reading. Oh, fascinating. It's like strengthening different muscles in your Mm. brain. Picture books somewhat work in that same way. And that when you read a really good picture book, you need both the text and the words to make sense of the story. Graphic novels do the same, except for one picture and one group of text per page, you've got 10 to 12 boxes and kids have to put them in the right order and realize which way to read them and look at all of the illustrations to add meaning to the text. Really good things are still happening to your brain when you read graphic novels. Manga is another area because Not only do you have to do all of those things, but you have to read it all backwards because manga is laid out left to right. Yep. They're Japanese style graphic Mm -hmm. novels. And I've tried to do it. I picked up some Sailor Moon manga a year or so ago thinking I can get into this. And it really almost broke my brain (laughs) trying to read backwards. 
it really is so challenging that my twins are really into Attack on Titan, which is a, a whole anime and manga universe. And they each got Attack on Titan manga for Christmas. And it's like this huge thing. And we started reading it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so challenging to figure out. You wouldn't think, except for the thickness of the actual text, but you wouldn't think by looking at it that it was going to be that challenging. But once we got into it, I was really surprised. Oh my gosh, this really is quite challenging. It's a workout for your brain to do that. Yes. So I am a big fan of graphic novels, especially for reluctant readers. It feels like a treat, but it is still working your brain. It's like these candy bars I recommended. Feels like a treat. It's actually pretty good for you. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Where do you stand then also on when it comes to audiobooks and kids? Oh, that was my next point was audiobooks are another fantastic resource for anyone, anyone who's interested in reading at all. But reluctant readers in particular are going to get a lot from audiobooks. Mm -hmm. If you are someone who struggles with the idea of audiobooks being real reading, you can always provide the physical text with the audiobook for your child. Mm -hmm. Hearing a fluent reader read text is wonderful for language and reading development, but it also just counts all on its own. Yes. Your brain is doing a pretty similar thing when you're listening to audio as it is when you're reading a book. Yeah. It's something I recommend pretty often for parents of kiddos who have a really hard time sitting still long Mm -hmm. enough to read, put a basketball in their hands, let them jump on the trampoline, let them walk the dog while they have a book in their ears and they can absorb so much and get all of that good stuff while they're still being able to move their body. Yes. Listen to audiobooks in the car when you're going somewhere. I personally love audiobooks now as an adult reader and wish they had been more available when I was a kid because I think it's just fantastic. It yes. counts. It's real reading. It Thank counts. you. It is real reading. It absolutely counts. I was trying to think of a, a recent book that I read, but like you said, as an adult, as an adult, almost all of my reading is on audio and I have just as strong and intense feelings about and just as in depth of an experience of a book via audio as I do when I sit and read. And I was thinking too, when I was teaching you know, I would often, and as a student in elementary too, teachers reading out loud, I can especially mm. remember when I was student teaching, leading seventh graders through where the red fern grows, mm-hmm. and I would read that out loud every class. And they would, I mean, sometimes kids, yeah, some kids would lay their heads down on their desks and not seem to be paying attention. I don't know if they were or not, but a lot of kids would just follow along word for word. It's like you said, yes. when there is a proficient reader or an advanced reader reading aloud to them as they are following along in the text. Sometimes I think that can help build the confidence that reluctant or struggling readers might have is you're getting it two ways. You're seeing it and you're hearing it. Mm -hmm. I have to think that that is good for building strong connections with reading in your brain. It's wonderful. I guess my last plug for letting your child have free choice where they can in their reading is if you think about your own reading as an adult, think about all the things you read within a day. You've probably opened work emails, you've read news articles, funny memes to your friends and text messages, you know, on and on, a novel for book club, a recipe for dinner. And if somebody were to look at the list of things that you read today and said, like, some of this doesn't count, like, this is not all real reading, Right. Would you want someone to come behind you and pick and choose what you were allowed to read? Because some of this is not good for you. (laughs) 
you would not love that. And that's not how we naturally as humans use the skill of reading, right? We don't only use it for on grade level, I'm doing the air quotes, reading, because most adults who are fairly well-educated probably read somewhere on a ninth or 10th grade reading level. Okay. Pretty easily. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's actually a pretty difficult text. Most of us who are no longer in school don't read things on grade level right. anymore. Yeah. And yeah. actually most adult novels are written on about a fifth or a sixth grade reading level. What? Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. How so a lot of parents will say, oh, maybe they have a high level reader uh -huh. who is still kind of a reluctant reader though. They don't choose yes. to do it for fun. Yeah. We'll say my fourth grader only needs to read ninth grade level books mm -hmm. because that's what they've told us their level is. Well, finding appropriate materials for a nine-year-old on a ninth grade level is actually really difficult. Yes. Especially if we're trying to find something they're interested in reading. For sure. Because we're talking about textbooks most of the time at mm. that, you know, 10th through 12th grade reading level is like a tale of two cities or a medical textbook. Oh, wow. And yeah. your fourth grader is probably reluctant to read that because you and I would also be reluctant to read that. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that, Emily. That is such a great point that we as parents, especially like you said, if you do have kids who are on the higher spectrum, when it comes to reading, we think, oh, they've got to be challenged. They have yes. to constantly be challenged. But then you think about like in your own personal reading life, I don't always want to be challenged by a book. Like no. I'm usually there for the story, for the characters, for other right? things besides thinking about is this, is the actual reading level of this text challenging me as a reader? So yeah, I had never thought about that, but that is so true. And I think it ties back into what you were saying about allowing kids outside of their assigned reading mm -hmm. to have just as much fun and as much choice as they can, again, within age appropriateness, but as much fun as they can when they're doing their own for fun reading. Yes. We've got to convince them that there is joy to be had there. Yeah. And there's not a, the buy-in is going to be difficult. Absolutely. We can't show them how fun it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Those are such great tips. And I know, again, this topic comes up so often in our community. And so I know that's going to be helpful for so many people. All right. Any other thoughts come to mind as you think about the kids who might be a little unenthusiastic about reading? These have been such great tips. Anything else? I think maybe something else of note is parents often feel pressure from the school when their child is a reluctant reader, either yes. on the lower or higher end of the spectrum. They feel a little stress and guilt from schools if their mm. child is not checking off all the points or attaining the next level at a pace that their teacher or school feels is appropriate. Mm -hmm. And that can be a tricky spot to be. Because as a parent, of course, you want your child to do well in school. Mm -hmm. My recommendation here from the other side of this now is to be as respectful as you can, of course, with your teacher. They are knowledgeable about teaching children how to read. Mm -hmm. Take yes. their advice as far as you possibly can. Do the homework that's assigned to them. Mm -hmm. right? Check the boxes that you can. And just... Take it with a grain of salt in that this is just one method yeah. that my child is learning to read. And it's okay that my school needs to follow this program. Mm -hmm. It's okay that they need to give me this information. I'm going to take that along with what I know about my child outside of school yes. to paint a complete picture of my child's reading. I'm not going to let one test or one teacher or one school program 
define everything about my child as a reader. And I think that can help them also not take that on as the only label about them as a reader. Yes, that makes so much sense. And I'm so glad you brought that up. But sometimes we have to color in the lines for our schoolwork and for what the school is asking for us. But then there's lots of room for creativity when we're not working on our schoolwork and our assigned reading. So, oh, I love that so much. Well, Emily, I know that you as a children's librarian, again, dream job surrounded by books and books for kids all day. I know you have put together a list of recommendations. We're going to get to that list when we come right back. Okay, we are back. I am here with my dear friend, Emily Jones, who is sharing so much wisdom and insight for us today when it comes to the topic of kids and reading. And again, Emily, like I said, I have so many fond memories of going to the library as a kid. My grandmother would take us in the summers when we were staying with them to the library. And it wasn't even a big library. And in my memory, it was big. Thinking back, it was probably teeny tiny. Mm -hmm. But she just let us have free reign. She didn't even look at the titles or anything. She told us how many we could check out. We could go get our stacks and take them back. And we would just read and read and read. And so I have so many fond memories of visiting the children's section of the library as a child, and of course, taking my children there as well. So I cannot wait to hear some of the recommendations, especially since you see all kinds of material come through, maybe some things that haven't even been on our radar as parents or teachers that's good for reading these days in children's literature. Yay. Well, this is my favorite question, but also the hardest question to answer because I have hundreds of recommendations. Hundreds. (laughs) And Let's go ahead and mention right now that you do have on Instagram an account, Emily Jones Books, where you do often feature books that you're reading and kind of giving light reviews for and getting some of these books on the radar of other readers and parents. Yes, it's just a little hobby of mine, but it's lots of fun. So if you're looking for book recommendations, definitely come, come and check that out. I've got seven books to share with you today. I picked just a category of readers because narrowing it down to five to seven, I tried to pick a few from multiple categories and decided that was too hard. Yes, okay. So these are recommendations for reluctant readers, probably in a second through sixth grade range, depending on their reading level. Yes. So middle of the road where we most frequently see reluctant readers. Some of these are new and some of them are not. I just tried to choose some that maybe most people hadn't heard of. Okay, perfect. If that makes yes. sense. Yes. Okay, the first one is called City of Ghosts by Victoria Schwab. And you may have heard of this author mm-hmm. from The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Yes, uh-huh. Her adult books usually are signed V.E. Schwab instead of Victoria. That's right. But what you may not have known is that she also writes books for children. And I don't know if any of your kiddos have read these. No. They are about a little girl who can see ghosts okay she had a near-death experience and can see ghosts and her parents film a show for the discovery channel about ghosts so she goes around with her parents who film these paranormal shows but they don't know that she actually can see ghosts okay this might be the shortest one of my recommendations quick easy reads there's three in the series okay i was just going to ask if it was a series or a standalone but okay so it is what was the name of it City of Ghosts? City of Ghosts okay. is the first one. Okay. And it is Scary Light. Perfect, yes. <laughs> we get asked for scary stories a lot by very small children. And I think, oh my gosh. you don't really want scary, do you? This is scary adjacent. Scary adjacent. <laughs> I love it. I love it. When I was an elementary reader, and I'm thinking like 
third, fourth, fifth grade level. So a little bit on the older end of elementary. Oh my gosh, Emily, that was my favorite book. I would scour the library of my school public library, always looking for new ghost story books. I would read them. Mm -hmm. I would get so scared at night that I'd have to put the ghost story book in a different room so I could sleep (laughs) because I would be, I would scare myself so bad, but I was, I just kept coming back to it. It was my favorite genre of book when I was a kid. So I love that you started off the list with a little bit of a spooky one. A lot of kids do. They just want to be scared just a little bit. And that's a perfect one for that because it's probably not going to traumatize anyone, but it is deliciously creepy. The second book I have on my list is called Cat Incorrigible by Stephanie Burgess. Okay. These are not new publications, so it's possible some of our listeners have come across these already. It's so a trilogy, but it is a blend of Jane Austen and Harry Potter, or it's something very magical. So the main character, it's a family of witches in Regency England. Oh, so fun. It is such a good time, especially for kids who maybe are interested in that historical element, fun, magical elements. The main character is about 12, I believe, and the hijinks she gets into that balls and all these other, it is so precious and heartwarming, but also brings in that magical element. So I think some reluctant readers are really going to enjoy that one. Sounds good. That one was called Cat Incorrigible. Okay. Love it. Okay. What else? Okay. The next set of books are also maybe by an author that you'll recognize, Suzanne Collins wrote the Hunger Games series. Okay. She also has a series that she wrote first called Gregor the Overlander. Are you familiar with I this? have heard of this. I have not read that. And I forgot that Suzanne Collins wrote that, but that title yes. is ringing a bell for sure. So she's an excellent storyteller. We know this, but these are quite a bit shorter and easier reads than The Hunger Games. They're also not nearly as violent as Hunger Games. And Gregor is a boy who lives in New York City, and his dad has been missing for quite some time. And he falls down a laundry chute in his apartment building and discovers a world underneath the streets of New York City. Oh my gosh, this sounds amazing. And he's on an adventure to find his father. There are five or six in this series. Okay. And great high interest for boys in that age group. But I think boys and girls alike will enjoy those. It's a little bit fantasy, but it's not terribly magical. Okay. So kids that liked Wings of Fire, maybe, Mm -hmm. or... Some of Rick Riordan's books really might enjoy this. Yes, okay. I think a lot of times parents are looking for a series because it kind of keeps kids engaged and they discover the fun of the cliffhanger and like what's going to happen next and those types of things. So I love that you're bringing some series. That sounds fantastic. Most of these today are series, thankfully. Love it. Because that's what kids really like. They like to find an author and then stick with it for a while. Mm -hmm. The book on my list that's probably the newest is called Amari and the Night Brothers. Yes, that is. By BB also. Oh my gosh, I have seen that everywhere on all kinds yes. of book lists in the past year. I read that one in the last couple of weeks for a graduate class that I'm taking, but it was so cute and lots of fun. A black female main character that is so strong and so wonderful. And she has magical powers too, but... She goes off on adventures trying to figure out she doesn't know that she's magical until I think she's 12 or 13 in this book. And the cover art is just fantastic. If you haven't seen it, you've got to look it up. Yeah, it's wonderful. I think anyone that liked Harry Potter or anything in that genre would love this book. They're going to pick this up and really enjoy it. Not quite as difficult reading as some other 
magical text. Like it's great for reluctant readers because it's written on a slightly lower level. Love it. And I believe he is writing more of those. Okay. It's new enough that I don't think they're out yet, but I do think he plans to write more. Fantastic. My next suggestion is one for kids who want something funny. Oh yeah. Mac Barnett is an author who is probably most famous for his picture books. Uh, Sam and Dave Dig a Hole is my favorite of his picture books. I don't know if you've read that one to your boys, but it's really weird and funny. <laughs> but he has a series for middle grade, early middle grade, I would say, called The Terrible Two. And it's about two boys in middle school that are pranksters and they just cause general havoc everywhere they go. Oh my gosh. But it is so witty and just something that I think kids in this age group are going to find hilarious. Yes. He's a wonderful writer. And there are several in this series as well. He's written several of these. So the first one is called The Terrible Two. And they're not very long. They're really approachable. Okay. They have illustrations scattered throughout. They're not a true graphic novel, but there are a few illustrations. Maybe similar to Diary of a Wimpy mm, Kid mm-hmm. yeah. type writing. Yes. So I think it's going to really appeal to a lot of kids in that. My twins love the idea of pranks. They think it is hilarious. They like to watch prank videos on YouTube. And so I'm thinking this is going to be a perfect book match for them, even though I may or may not want to give them new ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so great, though. I love it. And that was Mac Barnett, you said? Mac Barnett. Mm -hmm. Great. I've got two more. One is called A Hundred Cupboards by Indy Wilson. Yes. yes. Have you read any of I have not, but I absolutely know that title that has come up on some book lists that I've seen recently, but it's not like a new release though, right? No, okay. this one's not a terribly new release. Okay. It's just one that I often recommend to parents who and children who are saying things like, well, I've read all of these and mm-hmm. I've read all of those. This is another one that there are a few in the series and it is creepy and a mystery scary adjacent again right. it can get a little bit creepy but it's really more of a mystery okay so the main character is sent to stay with his aunt and uncle for the summer and the room that he's staying in as he is looking at the wall he starts chipping some of the plaster off and there are 100 doorways oh wow in the wall okay. of his room and so each one opens to something different, a different world, a different experience. Wow, what a great concept. Yeah. High interest for sure. Yeah, it's a really good one. Yeah, sounds like it. And that's by Indy Wilson. Okay. And it's another author who has written pretty prolifically, so. Great. The last one I have for you today is maybe my personal favorite. All right, let's hear it. It is by an author named Lauren Wolk, W-O-L-K, Wolk. And the book is called Wolf Hollow. And this is a pure historical fiction. No fantasy, no magical elements. She's written quite a few books. And Meg, she is just such a beautiful writer. Love it. I mean, the kind of book you want as an adult, I wanted to highlight certain phrases because of the way that she writes, like so page turning and like heart pulling at the same time. Sometimes it's hard to find books written that children will enjoy, that adults also, that we can read and be like, this is now one of my favorite books, Mm, this book. mm -hmm. And Lauren Wilkes writing is like this. This particular story, Wolf Hollow, is set directly after World War II in a small town in what is assumed is probably rural Tennessee or Kentucky. 
And one of the main characters is a man who we would now call it PTSD okay. from his time in World War II. Yeah. And he's an outsider to this little neighborhood and just some sad events come through. But I don't think I have any strong content warnings necessarily. Sure. If you have a very sensitive reader who doesn't like sadness, yeah. maybe stay away from these books. But all of these books have pretty heartwarming endings. So I think they're safe. Yeah. But oh man, if you've got a kid that likes the Little House on the Prairie type yeah. genre, you mm-hmm. know, warm family fun in historical settings, Lauren Wolk is for you. Her books are wonderful. And what was the name of the first one? Wolf Hollow. Wolf Hollow. Okay. But Wolf Hollow, yeah. Her books are not a series. Oh, okay. They're standalone. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not a series, but she kind of writes in that sort of genre. They're all sort of in that same genre. Different points in history, different main characters. Got it. But, Good, yeah. solid historical fiction. Yes. Love that. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, Emily, what a great list you brought for us. I'm thinking, okay, got to schedule in our next trip to the library because uh-huh. now I have a whole list of stuff that we can <laughs> check those out. On hold. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like I said, you do share on Instagram as books come across your desk, your librarian desk, you share yes. to kind of give parents and anybody who just has kids in their lives a little heads up on books. And again, it's Emily Jones books, right? Yes. All one word, Emily Jones books. Okay. Well, we will have that link and then links for all of the books that you talked about today in the show notes. So if you guys were listening, don't feel like, I hope you didn't feel like you had to jot any of these down. You know, we got them in the show notes for you. We've got you covered Mm -hmm. so that you could put your holds in at the library or go and buy it and support the authors and their writing that way. So Mm -hmm. Emily, this has been so helpful so informative and so inspiring. Again, as a parent with kids who are literally all over the spectrum when it comes to reading, this has given me so much to think about that is, I know is going to make a difference in the life of my family. So thank you for taking this so much time. so fun. Yes, yes, yes. I was so flattered and so fun to be here with you. I could talk about books and kids and reading all day. <laughs> and you're also in the Hangout group on Facebook. So yes. if people want to have a conversation, I mean, we can even start some threads with some discussion around sure. this after the episode. So as a reminder, if you have not joined our Facebook community, we would love to have you join us. Facebook.com slash group slash sort of awesome hangout. We talk about all kinds of things. We talk awesomes of the week and product recommendations, but we do a lot of troubleshooting things like how do I get my kids to read more? So <laughs> we would love to have you join us in the hangout group or come find us on Instagram at sort of awesome show. You can find me at sort of awesome Meg on all of the social media. So Emily, thank you again so much for your time today. Of course, thank you. Awesome, thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time.